My story had me touch a little bit of every religion everywhere. Um, I grew up with a family that wasn't particularly religious. Uh, my neighbor behind us, Miss Darby, was an old school black Baptist with the fans and the hats and the jumping up and down the aisle. Uh, and so I went to church with her a couple times as I was growing up and that was a fun experience. Um, and in high school, my best friends were uh, Catholic, Jewish, Hindu, and uh, my best friend in college is Muslim. And so I basically had a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. I studied martial arts for years, and so through that I read a lot of Zen and Buddhism and Confucianism, a lot of different philosophies. And I was always looking for what was true. Uh, and none of it really, really stuck because I would have tough questions and no one would really, really be able to answer my questions, including Christians. Uh, and then, like I said, I met Amanda. He was not a Christian, and by, by that point I was. And um, we started a relationship, even though I struggled with that, because I knew it wasn't in God's will that I'd be with him when he wasn't a Christian and I was. But he was seeking and kept asking questions, and I just kept trying to find answers. And I kept asking. And it was the first time I'd ever actually met uh, a Christian who didn't want to argue me into Christianity. Uh, I, I debate pretty well. Much better I, than me. And I really enjoy it. So to, to come up with some against somebody who didn't want to debate and just wanted to talk and, and share her experience was totally new. Uh, and through that, I was able to answer a lot of my tough questions and ended up making the decision that Christ was for me. He has my best interests at heart. And, I'm all about that. So from there, uh, somehow God took me on this journey from belligerent skeptic to elder of the church, uh, building in other people's lives. And so I bring my beliefs and my passion for Christ to work and to our neighborhood. Just thinking about sharing the gospel with someone who is not interested in hearing it or who I don't know just makes me nervous. But what I'm, what I'm good at is uh, recognizing when God shows up in my life and then talking about that. You just notice God showing up and when he opens a door to talk about him, then it's kind of easy to walk through. Yes, and it's fun. I'm not perfect after being Christian. I'm not perfect after joining the elder board. It's right. just, you know, imperfect people living, living out God's will. Aren't they a cute couple? Steve and Amanda there. Yeah, give them a hand. It's not easy going on screen and, and uh, kind of telling your story. They go to our Holly Springs campus. Steve's one of our elders. He's kind of a big wig at Epic Games. He creates video games for a living. Some of you may be able to relate to that. I just figured out Tetris. I'm on top of it. And uh, by the way, is it just me or that music when it was playing quiet in the background? This, say, this could say something about me. Didn't it kind of sound like the slot machines playing off when you're in Vegas? Like, ding, 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 ding. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But anyway... Hey, I've been here all weekend, and I still got to stay all afternoon, so I'm a little bit delirious today, so be ready for anything, okay? We're going to have a great time this morning, and we're going to talk about uh, evangelism, and uh, wow, you feel the excitement right there coming back, and uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a while, and you've ever tried to share 
or talk to one of your good friends about why you believe what you believe, hoping that maybe by talking to them about why you believe and what Jesus has meant to you and how he's changed your life, somehow they'll feel compelled to maybe believe what you believe. If you've ever tried to do that, you know just how stressful it is. Um, and part of it is, I mean, who wants to start a conversation with your best friend that says, uh, if you were to die tonight and stand before God? I mean, just something about that says that's not going to go well. You don't really want to go down that road. Plus, you know that if you get into this conversation, if you open that door, eventually they're going to ask you questions that you can't answer, you know? You know that somewhere in this conversation about how Jesus changed your life, they're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I was watching TV the other night. Nothing was on, but there was a movie. Charlton Heston was in it about a guy named Moses, and he had some kind of magic stick, and he, he stretched it out, and, the, and it said that God parted the Red Sea. You really believe that happened, you know? Or, I remember when I was in Sunday school, my parents made me go when I was little, and there was a story about, I think it was one of the Jonas brothers, and he got swallowed by a well and lived to tell about it. You mean to tell me you think that really happened? Or, I was reading Revelation, there's something about the, the whore of Babylon, I mean, who got outed right there? I mean, what's that all about? And you don't want to look like an idiot, and you know they're going to bring up things you can't address. You also know that as you begin this conversation, they're thinking in the back of their minds, uh, why do Christians feel so compelled to cram what they believe down everybody else's throats? Why can't they just be happy believing what they want to believe and leave everybody else alone? So we have a natural tendency to want to shy away from this idea of evangelism. And uh, we don't even like the word. I mean, just hearing the word evangelism, it conjures up a picture of a guy in a suit at your door with a Bible the size of a Volkswagen Beetle who wants just a few moments of your time. You know, you ever had those experiences on a Saturday morning? Or, hey, the guy on the college campus somewhere across between Jesus and a hippie, you know, raising his fist, talking about the end of the world, spit flying everywhere. You know, we think in evangelism, that's what we think of. But this is what I want you to see this weekend. I want you to understand, we're going to try to take the fear out of it. Evangelism is really nothing more than the process by which we come alongside a person that we care about and we introduce them into the possibility of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just so you know, this is something that we're commanded to do. We go back to Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, okay, you're my followers. I want you to make disciples. Well, somebody cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ until they become a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is part of that process. But we don't like this idea of evangelism. It's stressful. It's scary. It's stressful for us. It's stressful for the person that we're going to talk to. There's a whole lot of stress going on when we talk about evangelism. But more often than not, I think a lot of the stress comes just because we don't understand what this process of evangelism is. You see, salvation, now that's different. Salvation is something that happens at a moment in time when an individual decides to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've read some books, maybe you've talked to some friends, you kind of weighed the evidence, you know, you've thought it through, and you finally got to the point where you said, I really do believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. He did come to this earth not to just to be a good, a good teacher. But he came to be the savior of the world. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that three days later he rose from the dead to prove that he was indeed who he said he was. And I'm buying into it. I'm all in. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Understand when you get to that point, that's a moment in time that takes place. But evangelism is a process that can take many, many years. And those of us who call hope home, we can't ignore this process because understand this is a crucial part. This plays a crucial role in our vision to reach the triangle and change the world. I mean, think about it. There are 1.7 million people who live in the triangle. I'm not sure, I don't care how much we give, we're going to be able to build enough buildings to get all of them into, right? 
So if we're going to love people where they are, that's our mission statement. If we're going to love people where they are <clears throat> and then encourage them to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got to think in terms of the people who are never going to walk into the doors of this place. That means they're not going to come where we are. We're going to have to go where they are. Now, why is this so important? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We looked at it last week. Jesus says, you will receive power. After that, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem. And we thought, well, let's use the analogy that what we do here on the weekends, that's our Jerusalem reaching people with this message of Jesus Christ. And I think Hope's a great church. Don't get me wrong. I came here from California 19 years ago, started the church. I think it's the best church in America. But you think your children are the cutest children in America. And I've seen your children. We know that's not true, right? So I'm not foolish enough to believe that we're the greatest church in America. But I'm a little biased. I think it's a great church. But let's face it. No matter how great our church is, we all have friends. We all have neighbors. We all have relatives. We all have coworkers who are never coming anywhere near this place, right? They fall in the category of what I believe Jesus described in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is our Judea and our Samaria. They're out there. They're not in here. But although, even though they're out there and not here, we still have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to expose them to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We, we can't be held accountable for whether they accept it or reject it, but at least we can go to bed at night and say, well, at least, at least they know, right? So this weekend, my goal is very simple, is to motivate you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be involved in the process of coming alongside of people that you are already in relationships with who don't follow Jesus and at least exposing them to that life-changing message why you're a follower of Jesus Christ why you think maybe they should consider being a follower of Jesus Christ and I think that by the end of this message you're actually gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna breathe a huge sigh of relief because you're probably going to discover that you're doing a better job in this process than, than you ever realized so if you have your Bible uh, Matthew 13 this is a Bible this is what it looks like not everybody has to be the change sticker on it but uh, you should bring this because I could be making up all this stuff we put on the side screens we I really could I could just have a bad pizza dream it up put it up there and say this is what the Bible says but this is the only way we really know what the Bible says bring your Bible Matthew chapter 13 Jesus is sharing a parable and he kind of gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what this process of evangelism looks like let me just begin in verse 1 Matthew 13 that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, and the people stood on the shore. So Jesus was like a first century sound man. Jesus got that. You ever been on a lake and you can whisper and you can hear somebody a few boats over? Right. Jesus understood that by being out in the water, his, the sound would carry better. And evidently a large crowd had gathered that he needed that. So he gets in the boat, he's talking to the crowd, and he told them many things, verse 3, in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus gives one of his classic statements here. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, those who have spiritual ears to understand you'll get it. But I think Jesus looked up from the boat and he sees maybe sitting on the very front row on the shore, his 12 disciples. And they've got this glazed look on their face that says, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. So Jesus, one of the few times in all the parables, Jesus goes and says, well, let me actually explain the parable for you. Let me unpack it for you. And he does that. Verse 18, he begins, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is the person that hears the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. They really aren't that interested. They're not there yet in their life. It's not a priority. They walk out the door. They never think about it again. That's what Jesus is basically saying. But Jesus begins to help us here by giving us some incredible insight into the parable. I mean, right now, we now know that the seed of the parable represents, Jesus said, this message about the kingdom of God. It's, it's what we call in church world the gospel. Really, the gospel in the Greek means good news. Now, we don't use the word that way anymore. It's kind of become a church word. But, you know, nobody walked in today and said, here's the gospel. We're going to have a baby. No, you don't say that. You say, here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's literally what the word means. It's good news. And then Jesus continues in verse 20. The one who received the seed, the gospel, the good news, that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Look at this next phrase. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So this is the person who maybe has an emotional response. They hear the gospel. They come to church. You know, they just got out of jail. They're down and out. They hear it. They're so excited. But then they think that by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, everything's going to turn rosy. Everything's going to be great. No more problems. Smooth sailing. They walk out of church and get arrested again. And they're like, but that's not for me. Obviously, it doesn't work. So the devil just kind of snatches the whole thing away. That would be one case. And then he says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So this is the person who says, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they don't really understand that being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, actually comes with some cost. I mean, Jesus did use phrases like, pick up your cross daily and follow me. These are the things you must do. Jesus says, if you want to be, my, if you be uh, a great in my kingdom, you have to be a servant. Now you got to choose, am I going to serve, be obedient, or be disobedient? So this is the person who hears it, but they're not ready to reorder the life, their priorities, to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. So they, you know, nothing really happens there. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. And, and, and you probably noticed in the parable a couple of things. First of all, you can't help but notice that the sower is the same in each case. And you can't help but notice that the seed or the gospel, the message of the kingdom, it's the same in each case. In fact, the only thing that really changed uh, uh, in, in this parable was the soil are the place where the seed happened to fall. So understand this is what Jesus is teaching in the parable. When you're involved in this process of evangelism, say you're sharing with your friend this life-changing message of Jesus Christ, what Jesus means to you, how he's changed your life, and you're thinking maybe, maybe this would be a good decision for, two, for you also, Jesus says, I want you to understand this. Understand when you're going through that process, it's not your persuasive argument that's going to make the difference. As Steve said in the video, no one is ever debated into the kingdom of God. No one, I've never heard of anyone say, all right, you won the argument, I'll be a Christian. I mean, that just doesn't happen, okay? So it's not your persuasive argument that's going to make the difference. It's not your presentation that's going to make the difference. It's, it's not even your preparation that's going to make the difference. What makes the difference? What makes the difference is how the soil has been cultivated. How the heart has been prepared 
it determines whether or not it's, it's going to receive the seed that's being planted, right? And that explains why, you know, maybe you have a friend and you guys talk all the time about why you're a Christian and they're not a Christian. You have some great healthy discussions. You, you talk over coffee. You talk over lunch. You've shared and shared and shared. They still aren't interested in being in a relationship with Jesus. Finally, you got them to come to church on Easter and you were so excited because Easter, man, Super Bowl of the Christian faith, right? And you're thinking, if I can just get them in the doors and Easter, something magical is going to happen. The music's going to be incredible. The stage is going to look phenomenal. Mike's going to give a really simple, clear message about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're sitting there the, same, the whole time. You can't hardly stand it. You're so excited. And you get in the car and you got to take them to Mimi's because really that's the only way you got them to church. You promised you'd take them to Mimi's. You kind of bribed them a little bit there. So you're making your way down Walnut to Mimi's and finally you get up the nerve and you say, so what'd you think? And they say, wow, wow. Your church has the most incredible light package I have ever seen in my life. And you're like, no, no, you, they still don't get it. And you start thinking, what am I doing wrong? And I think Jesus just says, chill out, cool your jets, just relax. The issue isn't what you're doing. It's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's not that you're saying anything wrong. The problem here is their heart hasn't been cultivated. The soil hasn't been prepared yet. It's not ready to receive the gospel. I remember a few years ago when we were on Highway 54 at what I, uh, I still lovingly refer to as the fire trap building. And uh, uh, we were there, and one Sunday morning, I'm in our little lobby, and a lady comes walking in, and I know her, and she, she has a friend in tow, right? And uh, she comes up to me, and she says, I've been trying to tell her about what it means to be a Christian, and I've gotten her as far as I can get her. I want you to talk to her. And her eyes are like this big, like, ah, I don't want to talk to the pastor. I don't want to talk to you. I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you. And so I, I picked up on this, and I told the lady that was dragging her friend, and I said, listen, call me tomorrow. Let's see kind of where you're bumping up against the wall, and let me see if I can talk you through it. Then you can go back to talk to her. Sure enough, the next week, here they come together, and her friend comes up to me. She says, I get it. I'm all in. I made the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, that is so cool. What made the difference? And she starts telling me how her friend explained the gospel, what salvation was to her, and I'm listening to this and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking there is no way in the world you understood that I don't even understand that I mean I used to understand the gospel now I'm totally confused by what she told you right so I'm thinking I better intervene here and go through it again so she really knows what she's getting into so I'm going through it again you know what she really understood she really got it and I'm walking away because I'm getting ready to go speak and I'm thinking how in the world is that possible I mean I have explained the gospel to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and I am a professional I mean, I know I've got the verses memorized. I know just the right heartbreaking story or illustration to use at the right time. People blow me off all the time. I mean, how do you explain this, right? I'll tell you how you explain it. You can take the perfect seed, the gospel, with the perfect presentation, but drop it into the wrong soil. Deliver it to a person whose heart hasn't been prepared and cultivated, and Jesus says there's not going to be any fruit. But you can take the perfect seed of the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, and you can actually package it with a lousy presentation, but drop it into soil where the heart has been prepared, and you're going to get fruit. You, you see, this idea of evangelism, it's a process. It's a process. You know, statistics say that 90% of the people who decide to follow Jesus do so because of the influence of a close friend or a relative. And if that's the case in your life, and statistically we would say 90% of you that's the case, 
There's probably a process you, you went through that sounded something like what the Supervilles went through in that relationship. Sounded something like this. First of all, somehow, or first of all, somehow, somewhere, uh, you met someone, right? Uh, and you just kind of hit it off with. Maybe you met them at the gym. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's one of your neighbors. And, and you just clicked. You know, you ever met someone like that? It's from the minute you shake hands or give each other a hug. It's like, man, I kind of like you. And you were kind of attracted to that person. And you just began to hang out a little bit, developing a relationship. That was the first thing. Second, eventually, you discovered, out of the blue, that your new friend is a follower of Jesus Christ. But now that you like them as a person, and they're not obnoxious, they're not beating you over the head with the Bible all the time, doesn't really bother you, doesn't scare you off, because you just like them. They're not obnoxious. Third, as you interacted with your new Christian friend, you became aware of the fact that the reason your new friend is the way he or she is is because there's something at the core of their life. You're picking up on that, and you're discovering over time what seems to be at the core of their life, it seems weird to you, is this thing called the Bible. This ancient book called the Bible. I mean, they talk about the Bible all the time. Not in an obnoxious way, not argumentative way, but if they're talking about the marriage, somehow the Bible comes up. If they're talking about a class they're taking at school, somehow the Bible comes up. If they're talking about uh, their social life or their job, somehow, for some reason, the, the Bible just comes up. It just seems like it is a natural part of their life. Fourth, somewhere along the way, without even realizing it, you let your defenses down and you begin to develop kind of a positive attitude toward the Bible. In other words, it didn't turn you off because now you've actually met someone who is living out what they believe. We say, you know, living what you learn. You've met someone who is really authentic. They're not one of those hypocrite Christians. They're an individual who not only uh, talks the talk, they actually walk the walk. They believe this stuff. It's impacting their life. It's impacting them in a positive way. Fifth, one day you finally heard the gospel. I mean, one day you finally realize, okay, my friend isn't the way they are because of some self-help seminar or some book at Barnes & Noble they picked up. They are the way they are because of something that's going on in their life. There's a difference here. They handle stress differently. They handle hard times differently. They handle conflict differently. They have more of an ability to forgive when they're offended. And finally you say, okay, tell me, what made the difference? And for the first time they say, well, if you want to know, let me share the good news. Let me tell you why I believe what I believe. And then you heard it. Six, you decided you wanted what your Christian friend has. And seventh, you made the decision to follow Jesus. That's how 90% of people in the kingdom come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my point of going through that is there is a process that most of us go through before we become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around church world for a while, we've all heard the stories. Oh, yes, I was flying on American Flight 432 the other day to Dallas. And I sat down in first class and I opened my Bible and the man beside me said, Hey, is that a Bible? Yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. Please tell me how to be a Christian. And I prayed right there in first class and now he's a Christian. Now, let me just say this. If that really happened, and I'm a little bit skeptical because Christians will lie to you. I'm just telling you, they'll lie to you. But if that really happened, I promise you, something had been going, off in that, going on in that individual's life before they ever sat down on the plane that day. Because evangelism is a process. Now, if that's the case, what's it mean for us? Let me give you something to write down. If you want to jot it down, maybe in your Bible or someplace you can take notes on your bulletin. In order for us to follow through what God has set in motion, in other words, in order for us to come alongside our friend who's in this process of deciding, is, do I even want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Is this even relevant in my life? I think there's three questions we need to ask ourselves. Here's the first question. First of all, where's my friend in the process? And, and, and the reason this question is so important is because in order for you to talk to your friend about following Jesus, you have to know where they are. 
I mean, it's stupid to quote the Bible to people who've gotten to, who haven't gotten to the point where they actually respect the Bible. Why even use the Bible? And yet, at the same time, it's, it's a waste of time to try to prove to someone that the Bible is the Word of God if maybe they grew up in Sunday school or a Christian family and they already accept the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. So, you know, we have to become sensitive to where people are in the process. Here's the second question. Once I determine where they are, how can I help my friend move to the next step in the process? I mean, they are on a journey. Once I discover where they are, what can I do, God, to help them move to the next stage of this spiritual journey that they're on called the process of evangelism? For example, if they don't believe that the Bible is true, you may pray, God, what can I do to help them see that the Bible is true? Is there a book I can refer to them? Is there something I can say? Uh, uh, Steve Ellis teaches a great class that's coming up in just a few weeks. It's called, I'm Glad You Asked. And it's just so you can walk through those kinds of things uh, and, and, and present why the Bible is indeed the Word of God, how, how you can know that it's trustworthy. But God, how can you use me in this process? Or, you know, if, if there are, you know, really snooty people from Cary and they don't think they really need anything, you know, they don't need anything. They got it all together. They don't need salvation. Well, you could pray, God, help me somehow show them that they could really benefit by having a relationship with God that Jesus Christ made possible. We say, God, what can I do to help them move to the next stage? By the way, one of, one of our goals here at Hope is for each of us to be willing to share our story as to why we became followers of Jesus Christ. And understand, when I say share our story, our story is really nothing more than how we went through the process. That's your story. My story is very simple. Five years old, I didn't want to go to hell, asked my mom how I could avoid it, and she explained to me what the gospel was. That's my story. I don't have a great story. I wish my story was five years old. I was a male prostitute, been doing a lot of drugs. You know, talked to my mom, was saved out of that lifestyle by six. I was on the straight and narrow. God's used me for great things. That would be a great story, but not. Mine's pretty simple. Mine's pretty simple. But you have a story. Your story's probably better than mine. But our goal is to help our friend move to that next step in what one day will be their story. This is how I became to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So even when you encounter someone who is totally shut down, totally closed off to the idea of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't just write that person off. Instead, just say, God, help me identify what is the barrier that's preventing them from moving to the next step in the, in the process. God, help me become aware. What are the stumbling blocks in their life? You know, help me figure out what is the issue that's kind of really holding them back and shutting them down. And here's the deal. Maybe God is only going to use you to help them get to the next step, and then he's going to bring somebody else along their life that's going to help them get to the next step in the process. But understand, we're surrounded with people every day that are somewhere in the process. And, and, and you know what? Some of them are just looking for someone authentic, just one Christian who actually lives the way they say they believe. Some people do have questions that need to be answered. Some people, you know, they've just never seen the Bible in a relevant way, and they don't realize it's relevant. But because, you know, we have all these kinds of issues, uh, many times we're just kind of stuck in the process. We want to move them forward. So three questions. Where's my friend in the process? How can I help them move to the next step? And then here's the third question. What is it my friend needs to know? In other words, one day, hopefully, they'll ask me about, so, you know, how do you make this decision to follow Jesus? What is it they need to know? Well, Paul helps us with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1, he says this. He's writing a, a letter to this church. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, which means what? Okay, three of you got that. The good news I preach to you. And then you get to verse 3, and he explains what this good news is. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on as of first importance. So Paul says, of all the things I taught you, all the things I wrote to you, this is the most important thing I wrote to you. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So if you're having coffee with a friend tomorrow, and they finally get to the place and say, okay, explain to me. If I wanted to become a Christian, what does that look like? Well, you could say, well, the first thing you need to know is that Christ died for our sins. 
Jesus died for our sins. And Paul says, let me give you some proof. Verse 4, he was buried. That's how we know he died. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He, 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 he died and he was buried. Not only was he buried, he was buried by his closest friends and relatives. And if there was any hint of life whatsoever, you know they wouldn't have buried him, right? So that's pretty good evidence that Jesus died. So you would say point number one, Jesus died for our sins. Uh, the proof, well, he was buried. And then he gives us the second point in verse four. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here's the second point. Jesus was raised on the third day. How do we know that? What's the proof? Verse 5, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. So th it wasn't some guy came home from work one day and say, honey, I stopped by Big Lots after work and I think I saw Jesus. And she said, you're an idiot. Lay off the Jaeger bombs, right? It, was, it wasn't that at all. Paul says, no, no, no. It wasn't some guy just delusional. 500 people saw him at the same time. It wasn't an illusion. And he says, most of them still alive. All you got to do is go over to Jerusalem, ask around. You can talk to some of them. They saw him. They're right there. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says he appeared to me. So the gospel, the message we need to make clear to our friends is very simple. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. So if anybody asks, what's the gospel? What's this thing that changed your life? Well, Jesus died for my sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. All you got to do is, is learn that song we sang earlier, Jesus, Son of God. Learn that, memorize it, sing it to him. I mean, you can sing the gospel to him. You can't make it any clearer than that, right? But that's the message that we want to make clear to our unbelieving friends. And say, so, here's the deal. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He didn't come to be a teacher. He didn't come as a prophet. He came as the Son of God. He died for your sins. So, because you can't pay for your sins. There's nothing you can do to earn your way back to God. So Jesus said, I'm going to do it for you once and for all. All you got to do is accept what he did for you. You got to believe that he rose from the dead to prove who he said he was. Now he can empower you to be the person he created you to be. You just got to decide, do you want it or not, right? You say, well, Mike, if that's the gospel, that's kind of stupid. Everybody knows that. Well, maybe that's true. But remember, it's a process, and some of you could attest to that. Some of you attended church for years. Some of you went all the way through Catholic school. You heard the gospel all your life. It didn't change anything. But one day it clicked. One day the light finally came on and one day you finally got it. And it wasn't that you hadn't heard that Jesus died on the cross and was raised on the third day. You've heard that. It just never clicked. And that's why those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we always have to be ready anytime with a clear gospel message. Because when that critical moment comes, and we don't know when it's going to come, we don't know when we're going to get the chance to share, we can say, well, this is what you need to know. Now, all said and done, that's evangelism. Not so scary, is it? It takes time. In fact, there could be years between some of these stages, but this is where you need to be encouraged. If you are relating daily to someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, you work with them, you hang out at the pool with the family, you, you take your kids to soccer practice and you're standing on the sideline with parents, you know, you're walking to class with students, you're living in the dorm or you're sharing an apartment with other college students. If you're, if you're coming, relating daily to someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're doing your absolute best to model what a Christian life is all about, understand you are involved in the process of evangelism. Now, you may not be the one who prays the prayer, you know, you know, but you're just as important as in the process. You're not the sidekick. I mean, you're plan A. You're what God is going to use. Now, you say, well, Mike, what in the world does this have to do with reaching the triangle and changing the world? Well, think about it this way. The name of this series is Mission Possible. 
1.7 million people live in the triangle. There are 10,000 people around here who call hope home. By the way, you Catholics are holding our average down. Because, you know, you, you went to church twice a year. We got you up to once a month. I mean, we're celebrating it with you. You know what I'm saying? But if you could come a little bit more, you know, things would look better on, on the statistical sheet. And I might actually get a raise one year. I don't know. But anyway, I don't know why I was talking about that. But the point is this. Let's say 10,000 of us call Hope home. What if each one of us were involved this year with a friend, being a part of that process, influencing them to become a follower of Jesus Christ? I think that's realistic. One year, one year, we couldn't impact someone. That means next year there'd be 20,000 of us. And then the next year there'd be 40,000, then 80,000, then 160,000, then 320,000, 640,000, one point, almost three million, and then 2.5 million in eight years. In eight years. And I'm allowing room for growth. Okay? 800,000 people. In eight years, we could make sure that everyone in the triangle had a clear presentation of what Jesus Christ can do in their life. Now, it's up to them whether they accept it or not, but we can go to bed at night saying, at least they've heard. Mission possible. Now, I want to close by saying something to some of you here this weekend, and you're very, very uncomfortable right now. I mean, you're about as uncomfortable as Lady Gaga in a convent right now. I mean, it's just like, oh, this, okay. Because this is what you're thinking. <laughs> now I get it. I'm a project. I'm a target. That's why my friend's been trying to get me to church. It's a setup. They're working on me. I want to assure you that's not the case. Let me explain if you came with a friend today why they invited you. I, I, I want you to imagine, and maybe they're sitting beside you and you've already stared them down several times or hit them with your elbows. But anyway, I want you to imagine that this person that invited you today stumbled across an incredible investment. Okay, they, they somehow found out that cow pies are going to be the next great source of energy, right? And uh, they got in, by the way, those of you who uh, invested in Facebook, you're wishing you could invest in some cow pies right now. In fact, you did invest in a cow pie. It's called Facebook, right? Uh, by the way, let me just say this. You can always invest in God's kingdom, full return every time. Incredible little, little advertisement there. But let me move on. Your friend w decided to invest in cow pies. And... Uh, they are dumping every penny they've got into this investment over the last few months, and they have, they, the returns have just been absolutely incredible. So much so, you work with this person every day. You have coffee with them every day. You, you have lunch with them most days. You ride your bike together or play tennis on the weekend. All of a sudden, they walk in out of the blue without saying a word to you. They quit their job and walk out, and you say, what is going on? Why are you leaving? Ah, uh, well, I found this investment with cow pie. It's going to be the next big source of energy, and I started investing in it, and the returns have been so incredible. I'm, I got millions of dollars. I'm never going to work again a day in my life. Now, here's my question. How would you feel as you, walked them, as you watched them walk away, and you had to go back to your cubicle, right? If they had never told you once about the investment, what would you think? You would think, I thought we were friends. You know, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd be offended. I would think they were holding out. I might run out and, and slash their tires. But I, and that's me. That's me. I grew up in Durham. I do things like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that may sound stupid to you, but understand, the reason you were invited this weekend isn't because your friend thinks you're a project. It's not because your friend thinks they're better than you and it certainly isn't because your friend thinks you're an awful person. This is the deal. They have just discovered something that has been so exciting and so incredible and so wonderful and so life-changing in their life. They just want you to know about it. 
I mean, obviously, you mean a lot to them. They just don't want you to miss what they discovered. And maybe, maybe they just don't know how to broach the subject. Maybe they had a hard time explaining it. Maybe talking about religion is just too stressful for them, and they didn't want to hurt the relationship, and they didn't want to offend you. So they brought you here this weekend so you could hear me talk about it, so I could offend you, and, and you could be mad at me. See, they're safe, right? The bottom line is this. You're here because they care a lot about you. And my guess is uh, this is their wish. First, they just want to be your friend. I mean, they like you. Something pulled you two together. Second, if there is a process going on in your life with God, they just want to be a part of the process. And deep down inside, if they're honest, they're hoping that maybe one day you'll discover what they discovered about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I can pretty much guarantee you this. If you don't, they're not going to treat you any differently because they care about you as a person and they still want to be your friend. But they at least want you to know. They don't ever want to have that awkward conversation where you said, well, why didn't you ever tell me about this, right? Now, that's why they invited you. And I'm just going to tell you kind of secretly deep down inside, I hope that one day you're open up your life so God can do some amazing things in your life too. It is the greatest thrill ride in life. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, thanks for who you are. Thank you for this offer of salvation and give us a sense of boldness. And uh, for those who are here who, uh, they're, they're kind of in the process. Maybe today you helped them move ahead. Maybe today they, the light came on. They're like, yeah, now I get it. And we just celebrate what you can do. How you can take a life, forgive us of all of our sins, give us a clean slate, and say, now here's the deal. I'm not only going to empower you to live the life I've called you to live now, but when it's all said and done, 80, 90 years, you check out of planet Earth, I got a place for you in heaven where you're going to spend eternity with me the best offer in the history of the world, hands down. And may we share it with pride and tact. In your name we pray.